0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of After the Storm. My name is Hamna. Hello, hello, hello. And I'm Roha. Welcome back.
1: Um, we're really excited for today's episode because we're joined by a brilliant guest and an even better friend who um, I just hugged her, by the way, and she smells like fall and home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I just feel so good right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's currently completing her master's in public health Um, and while doing that she's doing other brilliant things um, on the way but I feel like she can tell you about herself a little bit better so we
0: are joined with Nasra.
1: Hey. Hi, Nasra. <laughs> hey. Hello. Thank you so
2: much for bringing me on.
0: Um, thank you for being the very first guest on our podcast. This <laughs> I'm is super
2: exciting. S- I'm really honored, to be honest. And I don't really know like how to explain myself. Um, I'm a black Muslim woman, you know, and I'm very proud of that identity. Um, and I am completing my master's in public health hoping to strive for like health equity and work with Mm -hmm. marginalized communities you know so that's my goal in life and with this master's um and yeah i think that's pretty much it about me
1: (laughs) i think that actually gives us a really good segue to introducing our topic for today Mm -hmm. which drum rolls please can you hear that? I don't know if you can hear that, but that was a drum roll on the table, folks. <laughs> Is anti-blackness in the Muslim community? Are we really one, ummah We'll analyze today.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think one of the big reasons we brought Nasra in to talk about this is because both Nasra and I have lived in the same city for many years now. Uh, we've kind of been part of the same Muslim community here. And it's interesting because this is a small, predominantly South Asian Arab Muslim community in a town that's predominantly white right so there's multiple levels at which you know the black presence is erased in this city here mm-hmm. um, and you know Nasser was gracious enough to come in and chat with us about her experiences and you know anti-black racism at large that mm-hmm. Muslim communities um, and I obviously speaking from a Pakistani Muslim perspective um, speaking to that erasure and how that happens sure so
2: yeah, you touched on it, that you know I grew up in Guelph where it was hard to come across representation in terms of blacks, but even black Muslims, it was mm-hmm. even harder. And I've never really felt like I belonged in non-black Muslim spaces because it was predominantly South Asian and Arab, and majority of them were Immigrants, And they had specific, you know, stereotypes on black people. And um, I just never really felt welcome. And I don't want to, like, trash the Guelph Muslim community. But I think we just need to do better in terms of integrating and bringing in, like, black Muslims. And making them feel like they're a part of the Muslim community Mm -hmm. instead of, like, feeling excluded and non-represented in certain parts of, you know, some of their organiz- or organizational decision-making, and yeah, that's just how I felt.
0: Um, And I think, going back to what you said earlier, is that you don't want to sound like you're criticizing them, but I think it's fair to be able to criticize something that you are a part of, right? Like, you're a Muslim woman living in the city, you're a part of the community here, and I think when there's something wrong, it's completely fair for you to be critical of it, because... That's how you make people aware of the issues here, right? Right. And that's how, um, hopefully, this sparks a conversation in our community that actually leads to some change. Because if we, as it is, there's a lot of uh, Muslims that essentially ignore the issue of anti-black racism because they're like, oh, you know what, all the Islamophobes are already out to get us. So we have to be this one united OMA so we can't be fighting amongst ourselves, Mm -hmm. which... I'm, I get that that's a concern, but I don't think that's a valid enough reason to not address the issues that our community faces internally. But that's,
1: that's like so easy for other people to say, you know, like, if you're not facing oppression, obviously you're mm-hmm. gonna be like, oh, oh yeah, let's just appear as one umma. Why should we appear as anything? We need mm-hmm. to first critically address flaws within us right. in order to be stronger tomorrow, in order to... What's an appearance going to do? I feel like exactly. that's where... My large criticism. Yeah, like and my what? thing is centered around.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Like when people
2: ignore the fact that there's racism that's relevant in our communities, they're perpetuating racism. And what I, I just felt like you know, being a part of the MSA, the Muslim Students Association, and um, having to have these conversations with people in the organizations, like black Muslims, they, they felt like constantly, you know, excluded from like conversations and, um, and that kind of stuff. And when people talk about one ummah, you know they're kind of dismissing the fact that of what it actually means which is we're one faith-based community that we accept people regardless of race ethnicity gender etc etc but clearly the words aren't matching up with the actions Mm -hmm. and that's what's Mm -hmm. that's what's missing i think
0: yeah, I think when people say, oh, you know, like Islam or like Muslims aren't racist, I think they're not speaking to the reality of the situation. They're speaking to an ideal that quite literally does not exist. Mm-hmm. Sure, Islamic values aren't racist, but are Muslims racist? Absolutely. We're honestly quite terrible. So speaking of somebody that, somebody that comes from a Pakistani background, right, um, I have been like anti-black racism was ingrained in my head since mm-hmm. I was a child because that's what the grown-ups are telling me. Mm-hmm. That's what the news is telling mm-hmm. me. That's what everything is telling mm-hmm. me. It wasn't until later that I started to actually critically look at these things. And got then, out of the sunken place. <laughs> Yo, yeah. no, literally. Um, and that's when I had this like really, really sad realization that a lot of the people I love and that I have around me are racist.
1: Yeah. I, but like, that's the thing, it's not overt enough for you to have that light bulb moment that early on, right? Mm-hmm. It's things that's like that are seeped in in our childhood. Yeah. It starts from colorism at home. It right. starts from your mother saying like oh, my God, you got so tan. Here, have this. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, by this, you
1: mean fair and lovely, right? Oh yes, yes, we don't speak of that. <laughs> we too. have that,
2: too, in my culture, the really? Somali culture. Yeah, their shade is, um, you know, the lighter mm. your skin is, the more beautiful right. you are. Fair and lovely is definitely a part of our culture. Mm. And, like, especially in, like, my family, like, I'm darker compared to my mom's side of the family. So I felt, like, this urgency that I also have to, you know, be putting on these creams so that I look like them and feel more beautiful but I also have gotten out of the sunken place and I think that all shades are beautiful and I think that um, certain black cultures need to acknowledge that they too are you know I I wouldn't say racist because I think that really applies to um, more white people and that kind of the colorist then? Exactly
0: more colorist right so I think a lot of that also comes from that internalized racism, right? When the entire world is sending this awful racist messaging at you, at some point you internalize it Mm -hmm. and you start to buy into it as well. And it it messes with you. It It really messes with you
2: it's western ideals right yeah. like yeah, man. that's ingrained in our like if you have european like features like i think also like in um brown cultures like mm-hmm. if you have lighter mm-hmm. eyes oh, like yeah. you're Definitely. more beautiful and you know it's it just goes hand in hand with like the western ideals I still of beauty, right? have
1: post-colonial hangover yeah 60 literally. years later <laughs> a little oh too God long her. if you goddamn western. colonizers i know Who let them? Who let them? (laughs) You know what? Just go 300 years back and be like, stop. Just don't come. Oh, yeah. That is my time machine. (laughs) Goodness. Um, I just want to touch back on the one Ummah point. It kind of reminded me of how um, the Muslim Ummah is guilty to a certain extent of having our token black Muslims. So, you know, when we want to talk about the Prophet's time, it's Hazrat Bilal Um, (laughs) right so do you want to expand on that a little bit more yeah so there's a lot of muslims that
2: claim they're they use this card i would say like oh i'm not racist or muslims aren't racist because because of bala like he we respect (laughs) him like he's a significant figure in our life but like your actions aren't like relating to your words and it's just like a pass I think for some Muslims like to feel like you know okay we're part of you know this black lives matter movement or whatever even though their
1: actions are Mm -hmm. showing otherwise just to Mm -hmm. expand on that I was just thinking about it like even further and it's really I don't know what I want to call it but strange maybe how the one black Muslims Muslim that Muslim people cite is um, you know a freed slave and how that ties into a certain narrative and perceptions of black Muslims and um, uh, to a certain extent perhaps like Muslim people can't fathom that either that why don't we talk about Moses as you know Moses was black too because right. if we go back and you know date these things, um, you can figure out that a main prophet was black. So why why don't we want to accept the
0: fact that people that are... A prominent figure yeah, in Islam, Yeah, like why right? is that so yeah. hard for us? Mm-hmm. Also, back to the whole thing of like people being like, oh, we're, you know, we're Muslim, so we respect Bilal radiallahu anhu. Okay, but do you actually respect the black people in your life? What is, what is the, yeah. what, what's the respect you give right. to them? Do you recognize... They're you know, do you recognize them as equals? Because no. I don't think they, I don't think they do. No, it's it, it's really unfortunate. Um, I wanted to expand on what you were saying about Musa alayhi being black and um, the reason why we never actually talk about it. We never hear about mm-hmm. it, right? And I think part of me thinks that comes from this whole. Um, I don't, I, I want to say monopoly mm-hmm. slash superiority that they season Arabs have on mm-hmm. Islam. So, mm-hmm. um, I was watching this YouTube video that I think both of you are familiar with. It it was a YouTube podcast by the Baraka boys. Right. Um, they're podcasters i guess uh from the uk (laughs) yeah um and it's a group of like i don't know seven or eight guys and they were talking about this youtube video that had gone viral of this Dacey preacher out in the streets of like some uk city i don't know um Telling Muslims not to act black, mm-hmm. um, and that led to a conversation around how they see an Arab culture is inherently considered Islamic. Their clothes are considered Islamic, but when it comes to uh, what they were addressing was Caribbean and, and African culture, and how there's this perception that those cultures can't be Islamic, that their practices are, you know, inherently un-Islamic, or the way they talk is mm-hmm. wrong. And like,
1: I feel like just to add on that, um, mm-hmm. people that. Especially, they see people that say, like, you know, like that preacher, even they have an identity crisis going on where they're trying <laughs> to be Arab. Pre- so it's so strange because, like, oh my God, if we go to <laughs> high school, Roha, she was having that identity crisis too, where, like, you think, you know, you know what? It's just Arab supremacy. That's right. what it, it really is. is. Yo, yeah. Try
0: growing up in an Arab country. It's so messed up yeah, because like I spent my early teenage mm-hmm. years trying so hard to blend in with all these Arabs and everything and completely like dissociating from my Pakistani identity too because I felt like it was lesser than. Oh, right. I wasn't Muslim enough because mm-hmm. I couldn't speak Arabic mm-hmm. or because I didn't wear a bias like these people did or, you know, I didn't say ayin like that. Like yeah. I had a different way of pronouncing <laughs> things. But right. no, for real. Like all of that That's makes so you feel like up. shit. Yeah. So what we do then is we try to we internalize that Arab supremacy. Yeah. We try to become like them. Yeah. And then there's a become, hierarchy. Yeah, you know? and then we start perpetuating yeah. the anti black racism. Mm-hmm. And
1: it's so terrible because like now that you've mentioned that, I'm thinking, why is it easier for certain people to accept um like Interracial marriages—if it's like you know a Desi oh god, person and an Arab person—but mm-hmm. like if it's a Desi person and a Black person, like oh, oh no, my no, god, no, suddenly there's like other problems. Oh, you know, oh, you can't connect with the culture. Excuse you. Is They're that what
2: it is? Though you can't connect with the culture. Or <laughs> oh, that's it, like, what they racist? say. That, yeah, that's what they racism. say. But it's that's racism at the end racism. of the day, is like you know. Yes. And I, I just want to point out that um, I, I think it's still going on. But like a lot of Arabs they refer to black people as abd and Uh. that means slave in arabic so when they're referring like see me walking down the street type of thing oh look at that abd whatever and they (laughs) speak in arabic but i also heard that there were um i don't know if it was punjabi or whatever word there's a racist word that refers to black people so like like when you know what you're talking i don't about. know like if you guys know what i'm talking about but mm-hmm. when those words are ingrained in that language in the language of like majority muslim population or like countries like it's just perpetuates racism even more and makes it prominent and i think that's your so- your culture is socialized to think a certain mm-hmm. way and so um I, don't, I, th- I think a lot of people are still, like, in the sunken place because they haven't, you know, actively sought out, like, mm-hmm. how to, like, be an ally and, you know, that kind of stuff. So,
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think the reason for that, too, is, right, because we're so entrenched in these views of ours that are so perpetuated by the people that surround us is that we don't think to question these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, something Roja was talking about earlier today was... Um, how the recitation of the Quran and how it's so normalized mm-hmm. in the traditional Arabic right. way, and that's considered to be the correct way. Mm-hmm. And Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, so um, I also think this is perhaps like a more recent thing. I'll expand on that later, but like this, you know, the so the ideal of what Islam should be, and then in turn the ideal of like what. Res- Quranic recitations sh- should sound like. I recently discovered that Sudanese recitation is so beautiful. So beautiful. So <laughs> beautiful. Um, Link me, fam. I honestly <laughs> will. It's so gorgeous. But we. I was never shown that when I was right. younger. You know, like I only knew Mishari Alafasi. That's yeah. it.
2: We're only <laughs> shown like like a certain standard, like this gold standard of like Islam, and that's like Arabic. It's a, it's like um Eric. Big language, like what you were just mm-hmm. saying, the recitation of the Quran should be recited by Arabic people because they sound like they're saying their ends right yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I just want to um, go back to Hamna's point about the Baraka Boys that podcast mm-hmm. and that Sheikh preaching, oh, like Muslims shouldn't act black. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the time, non-black Muslims, they um, or even Muslims in general, they there's there's personal views and Islamic views, and those mm-hmm. personal views um, overlap, not mm-hmm. overlap, but, like, they kind of, like, engulf, you know, what the Islamic views are. So, like, you, a lot of Muslims that are uneducated and th- that listen to these sheikhs and stuff, like, I fear mm-hmm. for them because they're being fed the wrong knowledge and they're not being um, fed the, the truth, right? So... Yeah, I just think that there's a difference between personal views and Islamic yeah. views, and
0: people mistake f- that. Yo, you gotta be careful yeah. where you get your Islamic knowledge from, because this is a good segue into one of the other things we mm-hmm. we said we wanted to talk about is preachers and like uh, famous Muslims, right, in the modern day, and mm-hmm. some of the problematic things they've said. Um, you think you start to trust somebody, you know. Um, you trust what they're saying and everything they're talking about. And then they come out with this, like, horribly racist yeah. statement. And you're like, what? What it were just, you thinking? Yeah, like, or sometimes I wonder, like, just, no, I'm not even going to say it. But um, <laughs> so, so what I'm specifically referring to, and I think each of us has something we want to refer to, um, I just wanted to say, your fave is problematic Sheikh Edition. Yeah, drop the names. <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh my God, can we start doing a segment called Your Fave is problematic on every episode? <laughs> um so be dope. <laughs> yeah I was reading an article on the Atlantic um and it talked about how Sheikh Hamza Yusuf had actually made some really problematic comments at ris mm-hmm. um about black on black crime and he's like oh, oh you God. know um the problem because somebody'd asked him was like if Muslims should support black lives matter and he apparently just went off on this tangent on how there's like twice as much white and on white crime and nobody cares about that but also my dude there are that many more white people so really what do you expect Oh, God, um, he's canceled
2: for yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: he apologized afterwards. I think it's up to you as to what you want to make of that. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sit right with me for you to be so prominent and for mm-hmm. you to be trusted by millions of people. And then you go up straight up making these ignorant comments. Right. For somebody so educated how are you going to be so careless? Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, people are like, oh, they're human too. Why do we hold them to a higher standard? We hold them to a higher standard because mm-hmm. they're educated. You wouldn't. They're you're the w- ones spreading the knowledge. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like you wouldn't expect, you know, a well educated researcher in any other field to go up and start mm-hmm. talking crap. Right. So why do you let why do you allow it when these guys do it? Mm-hmm. And the problem with
2: that is like they advocate for issues that, you know, directly affect their population. And there's like white privilege and white supremacy like integrated in what what he said because like he doesn't really empathize or relate to our experiences so he doesn't really understand the, the the you know how how black people are treated like how severely they're treated in especially America but also here in Canada mm-hmm. so I don't think it's right to just pick and choose the issues if you're mm-hmm. if you're like advocating for social justice issues um, I think if you're really gonna be on anybody's side be an ally for one community, you have to be an ally for, you know, most social justice, um, commu- like Black Lives Matter, like you can't just pick and choose if you're if you're an advocate for social justice is what
1: I'm saying. I've noticed, just to like go off on what you're saying, is that um when Muslims Muslim's activism is very like selective Selective very very selective Mm -hmm. and it's also a certain kind of selective right it's um light skin problems matter more that's literally what it is and um when you go to the mosque when you hear the joint prayer right you have um arab countries listed right away and i don't want to participate in oppression olympics this is not what this is but Mm -hmm. like how much did we hear about the famine in East Africa when that was... Like, how right. much? We, like, yeah. where is we that? Um. How many,
0: how many imams do we have that are out there praying for the black folks that are being killed every day and shot on the street? When we're not feeling supported in, you know, these
2: type of movements and we're not being represented, then what makes us want to, jo- like, be part of these other social justice movements? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't... Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So... Um, we sometimes feel like we're neglected by
1: non-black Muslims. I'm going to say it straight, so. I think that's also a good segue into talking about a very, uh, prominent Muslim figure. Um, you said you wanted to talk about Linda Sarsour, yeah. right? your famous <laughs> problematic number two.
0: Yeah, we're still on that segment, guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. so, um going opposite of what Hamna said. So we have Hamza Yusuf who doesn't really acknowledge that black lives matter (laughs) let me just say it straight to Linda Sorcerer which sometimes oversteps her boundaries in the black community. Um, So it wasn't recently. It was like a year or two ago where she released an article on the CNN website um, basically Indica- sh- so for those that don't know Linda Sarser, she's a political activist in the States, and she advocates for numerous like social justice movements, like the Women's March. Um, she's also an activist in the Black Lives Matter movement. But this one article really, like, rubbed me the wrong way. So she was, let me just quote some of what she said. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm, she a, the receipt. I'm yeah. a woman. I'm Muslim. I'm Palestinian. I come from an urban city. And she related the black experience in America with some of her um you know characteristics and her her identity which I don't think it's even remotely close to what black people are experiencing so police brutality we're experiencing so much um, intergenerational trauma due to racism and segregation and the civil rights movement so to say that you relate to the black experience sister no you don't (laughs) No, you don't. So mm-hmm. I think her comments are very problematic, and that she's just overstepping her damn boundaries.
1: <laughs> it's Minister is literally like the Arab version of like the white feminist. Like, I Rishy. too feel your pain. No, like, yeah. no, you don't. <laughs> no, you <laughs> don't.
2: Yeah, like so, oh I God. just don't understand where she's coming from. And she's still an activist in the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, oh. and a lot of Black Muslims do not look up to her or like don't even
1: like her like they don't accept her so there's a lot to unpack with her I feel oh. like but we need a whole segment to for that
0: no but again i think that's a valid yeah. critique right you're speaking about your perception of what she's saying as a black muslim and i think that's a very fair point to mm-hmm. call her out on because I, I think that people try too hard to empathize mm-hmm. yeah like you can You can empathize with somebody without being like, oh, I exactly feel the same." because there are certain things you will never understand. Yeah. And that's just how it is, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. So. Um,
1: I think uh, what I also want to check check upon, uh, touch upon is (laughs) microaggressions. Microaggressions. That's that's a big thing um, that I've heard. Um, And I mean, we all experience them too, but in different forms, right? But. Um, But what I researched was that, and honestly, I feel like I'm guilty of that too. Like when I was younger, I honestly didn't even know black Muslims existed. And I'll admit that because I only grew up around uh, Desi people, right? And then, when I'm, and you're not educated. That's what messes me up. You're not, mm-hmm. like, your parents will never tell you, hey, like, these are the types of Muslims around the world, right? It's only like the people that look like you. So people that meet black Muslims, they automatically assume, like, oh, did you convert?
2: Oh, God. So that's
1: uh, one of the big ones. Yo, Nasra, has anybody asked you that?
2: Actually, surprisingly, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but I just feel like when. Okay, so the first masjid to ever open was Aisha and it was um it's on Marlborough. It's this like the northeast and yeah. Okay. And it was predominantly South Asian actually mm-hmm. at the time. And whenever me and my mom would walk in, like, no one would salam us or like even greet us when we walked through the doors they would just stare at us yeah, up and down like we were some sort of species so no I didn't actually experience blatantly someone asking us like "Are like, did you convert but we just felt like those stares like, oh. and the fact that we weren't even greeted the same way as another non-black Muslim like we just felt like excluded from our community and like that's just really sad you know that's very
0: very sad um, what you're saying actually really echoes this um, research article that I was reading it's you can find it in the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs the article um, is by Jamila Karim she's a researcher it's from 2007 and what she did was interview three Muslim women in from a Chicago mosque and um, so one woman was a Pakistani immigrant the second woman was an Eritrean immigrant and the third woman was an African-American mm-hmm. and they're all Muslim women mm-hmm. that uh, initially went to the same mosque and essentially she was trying to unpack the experiences of the african-american muslim woman and that woman talk is ta- it's, it's surprisingly you know she was echoing some of the exact same stuff you said that when she walked into the mosque she did not feel welcome people would look at her differently and they would treat her differently and all of these things and so when she brought these concerns up to the other two women um, I was uh, you know what? No, I can't say I was surprised because it's this is the kind of shit that people do. Um so the Pakistani woman was like she completely erased her struggle. She's like, "Oh no, you know, people aren't talking to you because they they can't speak English." Yeah, honey, <laughs> but you can say assalamu alaikum like it's not that hard, exactly, you know? The universal um y- yeah, yeah, like she's trying to make excuses mm-hmm. for the racism that's happening and she's completely diminishing the experiences of the, this woman that that's being vulnerable and sharing instead mm-hmm. of trying to understand, she's instead just very rigorously trying to defend her people. I feel like that's
1: the issue in general with non-black Muslims um, because they love claiming black folks when they achieve, right? But they never want to partake in the struggle. Um, and that's the big thing, right? So we don't have any... Yeah criticisms or, like, you know, discourse happening when you have the larger issue of Black Lives Matter. So um, I think there was a murder earlier this year. I The details on the case are hazy, but this young woman, Nia Wilson, was murdered. And you know what? The Muslim community was silent on it. Um, she was a black woman. I don't know if I mentioned that already. But um, as soon as it came out that she was a Muslim woman, a Muslim total woke up. They are like, oh, my God. Uh, Black Lives Matter, all that. But why do people need to share some part of your identity for you to care about them? Mm -hmm. Is the moral thing not to, like, the moral thing is to, you know, stand up for what's right. Why does someone need to look like you? Why does someone need to sound like you?
2: And it goes back to what I said earlier about how people if you're really an advocate for social justice, then you, you can't just pick and choose what oppressed group that you're going to support. Um, and I think the same thing happened with Stefan Clark, right? Mm-hmm. He he was murdered um, last year, I believe, and um, nobody knew he was a Muslim. They only knew that he was black. Um, but when it came out, like, was it a couple months later that people realized he was a black Muslim is when Muslim Twitter and <laughs> the Muslim community started, um, you know, taking notice. Like, oh, okay, you know, like there's been a murder in the Muslim community, like um due to pr- brutality, police brutality. And it's like, you can't pick or choose. You have to be with us or you, you're, you're against us.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Nasra, and if you don't feel comfortable answering, please let me know, and I can just cut it out. Um, okay. But do you feel like so much of this anti-black racism that we're talking about, do you feel like it's ever distanced you from your faith? Well,
2: I'm. I I will say that I've never experienced racism until i entered the muslim students association when i encountered racism firsthand from my own brothers and sisters so in a way i feel like it has distanced me like i used to wear hijab and i'm not trying to like like go deep and personal but um i wanted to relate more to my black side because I think maybe subconsciously, like I felt like I was neglected from other Muslims and I didn't really fit in no matter how I looked. So, um, you know, it's just sad because like we said before, one Ummah is not really like what we're aiming for if this is the way that we're treating, you know, Mm -hmm. very, like marginalized groups or
1: marginalized people. Mm so. It's, it's really unfortunate, man. And yeah. it's, very, it's very tough, too, right, to mm-hmm. be at that crossroad. Um, yeah. And, again, to re- reiterate, Muslims love claiming Malcolm X. Muslims love oh claiming God. Muhammad Ali. Right. But going back to those two folks, do you know their readings? Like, they'll love to quote Malcolm X and be like, you know, Malcolm X found that there was no racism in Islam. But, yeah. like, what are you doing to
0: push his message? Yeah.
1: And,
0: nothing. That's yeah. their. That's that's their go-to defense, right? Um, that anybody calls them out for being racist, like, oh no, Malcolm X. Oh no, we love Muhammad Ali. Like, what? Yeah, that's the equivalent of being like, oh yeah, my best friend is black or something like that. So exactly. I can't be racist. Right. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Definitely. People um, are trash. People are <laughs> trash.
2: Let's <laughs> leave it Not at that. that. <laughs> now that we've established <laughs> that people are trash, where do we go from here? where do we go from here so i feel like we need to do a needs assessment in our muslim community and assess if certain marginalized groups are getting their voices heard so um especially in decision making processes processes at a masjid or um even msa execs um i was fortunate to be vp sister but even when while i was in that role i was i experienced racism so Um, There just needs to be an open, like, zero-tolerance policy for racism and anti-blackness in these type of spaces. And I think that we need to also ask the question of, um, from our black Muslim sisters and brothers, what can we do to better serve you? Mm -hmm. What changes need to be made in order for you to be supported, in order for you to feel safe in our space? So... I think that's like where we need to start and um we definitely have a long way to go because we also have to um consider that our parents right they my like my parents they're first generation immigrants so they have certain i traditional ideals and values and stuff and i think that a lot of like desi and arab communities also share that same attribute so um, i think that muslim non-black muslims uh, have to overtly address racism in their home and with their parents too and not just let it like just not let it um be under the rug or whatever that saying is <laughs> you know sweep what I mean? it under the rug right yeah. sweep it under the rug yeah we need
1: accountability yeah, yeah. non Muslims. Mm-hmm. that's what we need yeah like it's easy to you know Have an event, but we need to ensure that everyone's attending those. Exactly. Everyone's Everyone's representing themselves. Exactly. In a consistent
0: manner, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even thinking to like representation of the local mosque here, when I look at the people on the board, um, it's all Arabs and Daisies. Don't think I've ever encountered a black person at any of their board meetings. Mm -hmm. Also, barely encounter women there. Um, And both of those are a problem. But again, the complete erasure of. Black voices around in um, in like authoritative uh, positions. I guess is what I'm trying to say is problematic. Yeah. Speaking of other problematic things. Sorry, I don't want to be a downer, (laughs) but again, these are real issues, right? Yeah. Let's Um, be woke, people. Let's be woke. What did you guys call last time? Here's the woke studio. Yeah, woke studio. (laughs) Um, Do you find? Okay, so this is what I find. Um, we were talking about, you know, c- correcting our family members. And so that's something that I've started doing because mm-hmm. initially I used to be quiet because I was like, I don't want to get into fights, man. I don't want no family drama. But then I was like, you know what? I can't be part of an ignorant family. Like, mm-hmm. just no. that it doesn't sit well for me. So I've started calling people out. And yes. instead of taking me seriously, some people do, some of them do, mm-hmm. and they have gotten better. For others, it's become a joke.
1: That's literally it. Oh, my God. Because it'll never be a serious issue to them. And that's the thing for especially certain extended family members when you do speak out, right? And I think uh, that's where, like, our Mississippi training comes in. Like, do you engage or do you not? But, like, for some of them, it's, like, even if you try to engage, they're so far gone. I know, right? Like, I was talking, oh, my God, to a family member. And this person's around my age. And she was talking about like prospective suitors and she was like you know what i need to like start being less selective i look at their skin color way too much oh my god yo that messed me up bye <laughs> honestly
2: we're not friends anymore no that girl like i would you're
0: say like, that. i'm <laughs> subscribed from a family oh week. god yo no. i'm always wondering that because it's, it it's really disheartening too right because to some extent these are people you want to care about and like you're you want to try so hard to educate them because my thing is like I don't want them going around seeing their ignorant BS and then giving a hard time to a black Muslim that's why I am talking to them in the capacity that I can because the other Mm -hmm. thing too is that like it's not Mm -hmm. the job like it's not the job of black Muslims to exhaust themselves trying to educate those of us that are ignorant
2: exactly it needs to be non-black Muslims, you know, reaching out to black Muslims and asking what they can do to, mm-hmm. you know, reduce this problem. It's actually a problem, anti-blackness in Muslim spaces. So, um, yeah, I definitely think there yeah. is a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
1: instead of, like, for what I've learned, sorry, just to, like, add this yeah, one last yeah. point. go ahead. Um, that instead of, like, putting all my focus in like the past generation I want to ensure that the future generation doesn't like you know Mm -hmm. mess up so like in terms of my extended family members I can't say anything to them you know there's a level of respect that comes in but as stupid as that is but I can ensure that my younger sister has better ideals you know we can ensure that the people that step up next time they're educated on Mm -hmm. these issues and they know what's up because like What's our legacy for tomorrow? And I hope we can reach that one number status, right? Right. We see color, we acknowledge it, and
0: we give each other the space that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I genuinely think, this is going to sound awful, don't hate me, guys, but like, I genuinely think to some extent you just got to wait for the old people to die out. I and sometimes that's how think you that too. Get rid of those like toxic ideas right. because they're so deeply entrenched in their views they will not budge. Mm-hmm. They will not listen. And moreover, they won't even consider what you have to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, it, like, I, I don't... Think yeah,
2: I just don't think racism is going to be abolished at our time because mm-hmm. I know there's always going to be, you know, th- that group of people that, you know, no matter what, they they just going to oppress, like, certain group and they're going to marginalize and exclude certain voices and whatever they're advocating or... You know, so, and I think it comes from like privilege, you know you don't you just don't understand the experiences of of other people, so um marginalized groups,
0: so yeah, i yeah. that's all I gotta say Thank you for sharing that enough, yeah. so thank you um, I think one of the things in my learning journey that really alerted me to what anti black racism looks like was doing the Mississippi Project Serve trip that both of you went on as well earlier this year. So that's an experience that the the three of us in this room share. Um, As somebody that didn't know a lot of black history at all, I had to make a conscious decision to go on that trip and to learn because like, there was, there was no knowledge in my brain. When I was younger, the history I learned about was the kings and queens of England who loved sleeping around and beheading people and having children. Like, that's mm-hmm, all they did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I learned about. I learned about Islamic history in the Middle East, which was all about the Arabs. And that's the extent of my knowledge, right? So I knew nothing about slavery. And part of me thought that, like, it was so long ago. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so far away yeah. whatever. Um, and then taking part in this learning opportunity really alerted me to the fact that, one, slavery wasn't that long ago. Two, it, like, the the generational, the intergenerational trauma and impact that came from it. Um, And then also how it's still perpetuated. Mm -hmm. That, you know, forms of oppression, they they don't disappear. They just change forms. Right. Um, And I think, and you folks can add to that if you want, but, like, I feel like, as a non-black person of color we do have some responsibility in taking the initiative to educate ourselves. I feel like not just some yeah we have all of,
1: <laughs> all of the respons- all the
0: goddamn responsibility man like it's not somebody else's job to mm-hmm. teach me.
2: No active learning is very important that Mississippi trip was a learning experience for me too. Um, coming from a Somali background I can't say that i relate to the experiences of african americans and some of the historical trauma that they've experienced with slavery and that was just a learning curve for me like i can't be like oh um you know my ancestors experienced um slavery and segregation and stuff um so i'm an ally for you know african americans Mm -hmm. and their struggles um but i can't you know Get out of like I can't overstep my boundaries with that and say that I relate to the intergenerational trauma and impact of what they've experienced. So that was it was definitely a learning experience for me. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's interesting that you say that. And I think people have to recognize that there is diversity within the Black experience too, right? Right. Like you're you're sharing this with us as a Black woman, Mm -hmm. um, and. I think a lot of us on the outside, non-black folks, make the assumption or the mistake of thinking that everybody that's black has the same experience if they're in North America and things Mm -hmm. like that. So again, another thing that we need to challenge ourselves on continually.
1: I think um, you mentioned a very, very important point, how like because you can't relate to that struggle, right? Um, But we have such a big... I don't know, but people do this a lot that they think the black experience is just one monolith, which I mean Hamna basically mentioned, but we really need to disengage from that and recognize the multidimensional issues that exist. Mm -hmm. Because um, I just remembered a conversation I had with uh, my dad, he was talking about, someone he met from the mosque, right? And they were talking about the Somali community. And this person went, and he's like, no, 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 we're not like the ones from Toronto. Oh. And what does that mean, right? Yeah. And, like, what is that supposed to mean? Oh, so God.
2: Yeah, even there's so much intersectionality within, like, the black community. Like, it's just... So thank you for bringing that up. Was that a Somali guy that said yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. And,
1: And honestly, I feel like we're guilty of doing that too, like, within the Desi community too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we're not like the people from there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to mention where, but like, you know, it's, we have to get over a lot of internalized racism that we have, a lot of colorism, just so many things. We have to accept ourselves the way we are and stop othering others, if that's like a word. Um, But yeah, because, we can only achieve unity if we admit that there's problems. Exactly. Right? Instead of sweeping it under the rug, now I got
2: that
0: <laughs> phrase right. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that, that comes up a lot too is the fact that these people are super racist against black people, but like, you know, a whole other host of non black people we love stealing their culture it's appropriating well, yes, first of all black that's, culture that's okay that's another episode they've got, because that's like, true like they've got oh cornrows in their hair and all these things what? and then yeah yeah, yeah, oh yeah yeah, can i just say one thing and yes, even just, our swag our style exactly. stop stealing <laughs> oh it from us you've stolen a lot of on stuff on
1: soundcloud stop saying the word
2: <laughs> oh Ron? yes Please. yes i i've heard that way too many times I heard it in the Muslim Students Association
1: too. That yep.
0: room? Yeah. Do
1: you know how many times Holy that word gets shit. tossed yeah. around?
0: I genuinely don't understand if brown guys are just like it's really, really stupid. But, like, how many times it's does somebody have to tell you to stop doing something that's problematic for yeah. you to actually listen? And I've had to, like, be up front with
2: the person. that They didn't necessarily say it to me. But the fact that I was in their room, I needed to address it right there and then. And one of the people that I actually, you know, spoke to was like, I can use it like my black friend's okay with me mm. using it in front of him. Uh, no, that doesn't give you the right to say that. Like you, they just don't understand the negative connotations that come with that word and how black people were trying to make it. Like we're trying to get, gain that word back because of how it was used against us. Um, so
1: it's just. I don't I don't get it at all so and just to like make a comment it has nothing to do with anything but it's literally the most privileged brown guys that say the n-word it's like they like why they just need some oppression points I guess Um, you need to fill some quota it's so messed up I don't know what it is man I don't know what it is Mm -hmm. but like I and you know when they're like it's just a word why are you adding so much power to one Mm -hmm. word Words mean things. Yeah, they yeah. do. Why are you just choosing to use that one word?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um. But no. Uh, we need to do a workshop. It's called educate brown boys. Honestly, also some <laughs> other girls. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Educate totally. brown people. No, yeah. even Arabs.
2: I gotta say that too.
1: Educate non-black folks. You're <laughs> not black. <laughs> yes. Honestly, Please. like stop. Wow, this is so, like, a wave of emotions. <laughs> I know. We're just, like, yeah,
2: this is definitely, like, emotional for me, you know? Like, because mm-hmm. I have been in such a public platform, have addressed some of my experiences and some of the things that we've unfortunately experienced, like, in our ummah. And, like, I don't like to put people down, but, you know non-black Muslims have to feel uncomfortable and have to acknowledge that mm-hmm. they're racist sometimes and they're perpetuating racism in mm-hmm. some way so
0: absolutely absolutely and I I really really appreciate you being here because yeah. it takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to talk about things that are your lived experiences that are really tough right um so again thank you for being so honest with us and being so open here because it it means so much for Mm -hmm. us to be able to have this conversation with you and to be able to learn from you because there's only so much rohan i can say as pakistani people yeah right
2: we need to have this conversation Mm
1: -hmm. thank you for giving us the opportunity to not only learn but you know giving us like a checking point like this Mm -hmm. was honestly a check-in for me like Mm -hmm. am i doing the best that i can and
0: I feel like I've learned a lot and I need to do more. Mm -hmm. We need to do more. Absolutely. Um, Quick summary point. So if you are listening to this, challenge yourself. Challenge all the beliefs that you've been brought up with. Challenge all these things that are normalized but are actually super racist. Question Um, the people around you. Before recognizing that you're racist, I think you
1: need to kind of do like a self-analysis, right? Sometimes people don't know they're being racist. Mm -hmm. Like ask yourself these questions have I at some point made someone feel a certain way just because you think that's the norm? It's not always okay just because it's the norm, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Ask yourselves these questions and if you've had, it's not the end of the world, but be better. We have a responsibility to be better.
2: Final remarks from me, Um, check up on your Muslim friend and try to understand their perspectives and how they feel in Muslim spaces. We're not intimidating at all, and we actually encourage people to come up and ask us how they can make us more comfortable and feel more safe in Muslim spaces. So, but the, the problem with that is we can't be the ones that address this in our own community, in your communities, you know. You have to be active with advocating for, you know, um, Black Muslims and, you know, making them feel safe and, you know, addressing racism in your homes with your parents, with your friends. Um, And that's all I gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Rohan
0: and I are like vigorously nodding. Um, But yeah, folks, just really try to educate yourself, right? Do some simple Googling. Um, Learn about. Learn about what anti-black racism looks like. Learn about what these microaggressions that we talked about look yeah. like because it's your job to an extent to learn how to be a decent human being, folks. And learn beyond your token black Muslims, please.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a really good wrap-up sentence, um, as cheesy as it might be, is like Prophet Muhammad wasallam did say, no Arab is better than a non-Arab, and and no non-Arab is better than an Arab, right? So really drive that point home, however it may apply to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Peace. That's how we're gonna end this. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <like> my job. <laughs>